Would you pray with me, please? God, please let us today be excited to learn about your your word that you have for us and help us to to have the the years to hear it and and please give me the words to speak it and let everything I do be be your will Lord in Jesus name amen you know the first part of the church service has never gone by so quickly than a day that you have to speak I, I, I open with prayer because I, that was the first thing I wanted to do when I thought about writing this message because I had two reasons. One reason was because I needed the strength from God to be able to speak and, and to be uh, clear and deliver his message without stumbling over it. And the second reason is because, you know, I wanted to thank God because <clears throat> I, I, I found... When, when I was asked to preach that looking back through my life that being up on a, on a stage is not anything that I ever thought that I, I, I could do, but I, I knew from an early age that, that, man, I wanted to be up here and I wanted to preach God's word because it is just a great joy to me to be up here. And I remember when I was little, I'm told about this quite frequently. I used to go to my great-grandparents' house. And when I would go there, I would get my great-grandparents and my grandparents and my parents, and I would sit them all down, and I would force them to take part in me playing church. And I would do a fake communion, off, communion service, even the neighbors. And I would, I would do a communion meditation, and I would... <clears throat> preach a sermon, and I would talk from this little Bible knick-knack that now sits in my office on my desk that had Psalms 119 on it, and I, I, I loved doing that as a child, and as, see, as, I, as I thought about this, <clears throat> I realized that, that God, know, God puts things in our lives that we never really think about until we get older. And we look back and we realize that, man, God was doing something in my life that was preparing me for the future, was preparing me for something that I am to do for his, for his glory and, and part of his will that I never even thought about. Because you see, we're all in church, so we all know that God has a plan for us. We hear it all the time, but do we really think about that God has a plan for us, that his plan is divine, and that it is called God's providence. And providence is how God works in our lives daily. It is the comfort that we have knowing that our lives are in control of God and that he has gifted us a plan that works for our good. So today I want to look at someone who in the Bible rested in the comfort of God's providence and of God's plan. So today, let's open our Bibles or our devices to Genesis 37. I have more verses than I have bookmarks, so bear with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'm going to go to verse 4. Jacob lived in, in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. 
These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Here we read about Joseph, who was a man who was very wise for his age. And we know this because we see a phrase in here that says that he was the son of his old age. This actually has two different meanings. The, the first meaning is what it says, which is that Joseph was the son of Jacob in his, in his old age. Because as you know, when you get older, it's harder to have children. And so this, this was a, a miracle from God that he had a child in his old age. But also, this, com- this comes from a Hebrew phrase that means um, a, a head of an old age or an old head on a young body, which means that he was wise uh, for being so young. But because of this, Joseph was given special treatment. And at the end of verse 3, we see that he was given a coat of many colors, which implied not just that he was, he was one of Jacob's favorite sons, but it also uh, showed that he had some sort of um, overseer privilege over his brothers. Well, the, the reason that we get this is because back in, back in the day, when you would work in the fields or when you would tend the flocks, comfortably, something that you could get dirty or, or ruin. And when we think about Joseph and his coat of many colors, his coat was probably full-length sleeves down to his ankles, not really something that you would wear to work in a field or something you would wear to do any type of work other than be some kind of supervisor. So Joseph very much was the, the, the man holding the coffee cup while everyone else worked. So now in, in verse 2, we read that, that Joseph brought a bad report to his father. And this is the beginning of what people usually think of when they think of Joseph's early life. And Joseph is a little bit of a tattletale or a little bit of a, of a brown nose sucking up to, to his father, doing the right thing, and, and being generally an obnoxious little brother. But I think that that this is much more than, than just being a, a tattletale. I, I don't think he's being a tattletale at all. In fact, I think that this is an example of the early God-honoring authority that Joseph had in his early life. Joseph had stepped up to a calling that God had had for him and a skill that he had provided for Joseph uh, to, to be a leadership, and he used it... Um, and because the, the fact that he used it, he received a blessing and he was favorited by his father. But even though he did what God asked him and he was blessed for it, what, what happened to Joseph? At the end of verse 4, we read, but, 
But when they saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You know, in our lives, we, we want and desire to do the right thing, especially as Christians. We desire to follow God's providence, his plan for our lives, and we want to do the right thing. But often what keeps us from doing that is the opinions of others and, and how they look down on us and they say, and they say that you're better than, you think you're better than everyone. You, you are, you are uh, just doing what's right so, because you, you think you're superior or, or they push back generally on you doing the right thing. And, and, and people hate, hate you for it. But, but during those times, that is the most important times in our lives that we should remember that God is in control and he is there with us. And so we have to continue to do God's work even when, when most of the world pushes back against us. So let's keep reading uh, back at verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood up, and behold, your sheaves gather around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his fathers and to his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph is getting dreams from God. Dreams that tell him that one day his brothers and his mother and his father will all bow down before him and that everyone will uh, see him in, in, a, in a position of authority. And I find it very interesting um, that his father in this instance joins in rebuking him. But in, at the end here in verse 11 where it says, his father kept these sayings in mind. And I wondered what that was about. And so I went back and looked at Jacob's history to see that God's providence has showed itself before in Jacob's lifetime. Because see, in Genesis 28, God reveals himself to Jacob in a dream. Jacob has this dream about a ladder, and the angel's climbing up, up and down the ladder, and, he, and God is standing at the top of the ladder. And, and he speaks to Jacob, and he, and he says, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. This is the promise that God made to Jacob, that one day he, his descendants would own the land of Canaan. And as we see in the start of this story, it tells us that Joseph and Jacob and all of his family were in the land of Canaan, which means that God's promise had, had, had already come to fruition for Jacob. And 
I, I think this is interesting because of how we live our lives daily and how we tend to not necessarily trust God because of, of issues we have. Like, man, if God would just give me this little thing, that, that would push me over the edge to trust him. If God would just do a miracle in my life or he would, do, or if he would show me you know, something I ask, a sign, and we think, man, if we were in Bible times, it would be great because, you know, the disciples got to talk to Jesus and see firsthand. And in the Old Testament, there was miracles and God spoke to people in dreams. But we see Jacob here, <clears throat> not even a generation later, he has a dream that God talks to him and God delivers on the promise. And then his son is born, tells him the same thing. And Jacob says, I don't know about that. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's really true. But Jacob witnessed this in his own life, in his own lifetime, but he's already doubting. He, he, they seem to, to forget all the things that God had done for him before, just like we do. These people weren't any different than we are today. This, this is God's promise to, to, to Jacob that God promised Jacob that he would be in the land of Canaan, and that's where they are. So I imagine this is why, in the back of his mind, he was thinking, oh, well, maybe there is something to this. But still, he, he, was, he was lacking. But going back to, to the dreams that Joseph has, we see, once again, the providence of, of God working early in Jacob's lifetime to show him that in the future, he would use the skills that God provided for him, even in his young age, to not only be in positions of leadership, but also to interpret people's dreams. See, all of this, what God was preparing Joseph for the future and for the days that he would do important things in God's plans that would ultimately bring God glory. I think that this is an astronomically important point that, that should be reassuring to us in our everyday lives. Because when hard times hit and we feel like we're just helplessly floating in a sea of seemingly random, random heartbreaks and tragedy, we look to God for miracles to save us from pointless suffering, and we want him to call thunder down to strike the enemy. We ask, God's, we ask God for miracles. And I think that sometimes we forget how amazing it is and reassuring it can be that when hard times hit and we feel like we're just floating and, and nothing is happening, that, that we, we, we just can't seem to wrap our minds, minds around the providence of God and how it's already working in our lives. When, when, when we ask for miracles and they don't happen, what, what, what do we do? Do we abandon hope? And do we turn from God? And do, do we shake our fists and say, all of my hurting, it, it's meaningless. Where were you when I was suffering? And, and where have you gone now? Why did you leave me? But we know, because God tell us that he, tells us that he didn't leave us. He was always there from the beginning. And our suffering is never meaningless. Miracles are what we ask for, and God does do miracles. But we have a precious gift in the constant presence and the constant providence that God has for our lives.
You see, the difference between miracles and providence is that God works miracles supernaturally in our natural lives, but providence is our natural lives becoming supernatural. When we look to God's providence and see that he is always with us, guiding us, guiding everything according to his will and his purpose, our daily lives become so overwhelmed with seeing the supernatural workings of God that we do not have time to doubt him. When, we, when, when our sufferings start and our sufferings are, we have to realize that our sufferings are part of God's providence. His masterful and natural plan for our lives is producing in us a perfect unseen glory that we will receive because of it, because of that suffering. And God will be next to us, planning and guiding us eternally through all of it. I want to look at this verse that I think spells it out for us perfectly. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but these things, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So as we see Joseph with the showing of God's future plans working for him early in his life, it isn't all good times. It's never all good times for anyone, not for us, not for Joseph. Though God's ultimate plan for Joseph was working for the good and his ultimate plan for our lives are always working for the good, it doesn't always feel good. It's not always happy times. And now as I close and as I let Dan come up here now to talk to you about knowing that God is with you through the hard times, I want to ask you, do you truly know that God's perfect providence is working for you? And do you know that in all of it, in all of the suffering, it is all part of God's plan, the perfect God-glorifying plan? And most importantly, do you believe that God will always be with you through all of it. Colin, thank you so much. Where'd he go? <laughs> he's, he's already booking out. Oh, so proud of you. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you a little story. I didn't share it with you, Colin, yet, but when we went to the uh, funeral home on Friday uh, for the Macaulay family, I uh, ran into um, Ty and Reagan, and Ty was sharing with me at his church. He said, yeah, I'm teaching this Sunday for the first time. And I'm like, oh, cool. I said, that's awesome. I said, you know, Colin and I are, are teaching this Sunday as well. And he goes, Colin who? He said, I don't think I know him. I said, what? Colin Clark? He goes, are you kidding me? I mean, he was just beaming. You know, he was so proud. So I'm sure he's going to watch this after the fact and uh, just be extremely uh, proud of just the young man you've become. And I'm sure your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents are extremely proud of you. So as we continue, um, I wanted to kind of open up. Uh, we're talking about stories of 
suffering. And uh, I wanted to kind of step away and talk about these three uh, famous people that we, we, we know, we've heard of Meryl Streep. Uh, she was 26 years old when she auditioned for the role in King Kong. Now, kids, I'm not talking about the color version. This is the black and white version back in the day. Uh, but the, the famous producer, and he's uh, an Italian, and I'll try to do my best Italian accent here, Dino De Laurentiis Sr., he said Chubrata. Anybody speak Italian in here? Anybody? Nobody? Good. So I didn't know if I butchered that or not. That means how ugly. And, you know, he didn't even call her to, to tell her. He waited until she came back and just said Chubrata to her. And, and she said that, you know, I'm sorry I'm not beautiful enough to be in your movie, uh, King Kong, but she now, as we know, has been nominated as one of, one of the most decorated actresses with Academy Awards in history. Uh, Stephen King, he was writing his first novel back in the 70s. He was living in a trailer, driving a broken down Buick and putting hours in as a gas pump attendant. His wife, Tabby, worked at Dunkin' Donuts. And when he finished his novel, he sent it to 30 publishers and they all rejected it. He said, if my wife had suggested to me, even with love and kindness and gentleness, that the time had come up to put my dreams away and support my family, I would have done it. But now he has published more than 50 novels and is 19th on the best-selling author of all time. Lastly, Harrison Ford. Uh, his first role was uh, Hotel Bellman in the movie Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. That sounds exciting. I, I, I've never seen that, but he had all of two lines in that movie. And the head of the new talent who worked on the set daily asked Ford to come to his office, and he bluntly told him, you're never going to make it in this business, just forget it. Of course, we know that Harrison's went on to a very great career as an actor. Uh, but you see, suffering and rejection happens to everybody. It comes in various forms. There's obviously the physical suffering from pain, but there's also suffering that we find in mental health, our emotions, the emotional pain, our spiritual health. And we're going to continue to see how Joseph lived his life through that suffering and rejection. And I'm sure if I pulled uh, a people in this room today, or maybe those who are watching online, you'd see that we all endure suffering in this life. We all carry extra baggage from time to time. And to some who can't properly deal or process that suffering, the load becomes extremely heavy, doesn't it? It can weigh us down. I know there's some families today that are, are dealing with that. It's detrimental to our health, our life, and can be to those around us. So I want to pick up Joseph's story again where Colin left off. We're going to jump ahead to verse 18. And it reads, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. I mean, you kind of hear the snarkiness in this. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? 
Let's just throw him into an empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without us laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. I mean, how bad are these family dynamics? You know, that your brothers don't seek, just continue to, to kid you, ridicule you about your fancy new coat. You know, your dad's favorite. They plotted to kill him. Take his life, and then they're going to create this lie to cover everything up. How deep is the hate and the bitterness towards Joseph? Now, we see Reuben. He's, he's the eldest of the brothers. Uh, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. It sounds like, you know, he crafted this narrative that they should just throw him into this empty cistern and, and leave him without shedding any blood. He doesn't want anything to do with killing him. Now, instead of taking a stance as the eldest brother and demanding that they don't do that, you know, he tried to appease the rest of the brothers by saying, hey, let's, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in here. I'll come back and get him later. And these guys won't be none the wisest. Joseph never saw what was coming. Let's continue on, verse 23. When Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in a distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up this, the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. 20 pieces of silver, I think that, I looked it up, it was like the equivalent of like $5 today. They didn't value Joseph very much, did they? And you have to wonder what was going on through Joseph's mind at this point, right? I mean, he's been thrown into this pit and he's left to die while his brothers eat, you know, just yards away from him. I'm sure he can still hear him. Imagine being rejected by your own brothers, how cold and callous that is. And then moments later to be pulled back out thinking, well, maybe this was just some kind of a cruel joke, Right? Maybe they're not going to kill me. Maybe they'll, they're just, this is part of what they're doing to me. But we know otherwise. Selling him off as a slave to these traders, you know, what could he be thinking as he rode out of sight of his brothers, thinking, would I ever see my family again? What's my life going to be like now? Again, the emotional toll that this had to take on him. His brothers rejecting him trying to kill him and then sell him as a slave. Let's continue on, verse 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. Now, I have to stop. I don't know what, what happened to Reuben to begin with. 
I mean, you know, his plan was to throw him in there and leave him, but uh, he evidently has, wasn't around when the brothers pulled him out to sell him. Uh, it says, when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with a message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? They didn't even refer to him as their brother. Uh, their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my son, he said. And then he would weep. You know, to lose a, a son. You know, we, we were, we bared witness to that this week. Um, it's tough. You know, I can't imagine, you know, what Jacob was going through in his mind. You know, did what, what were the brothers thinking at this point when they saw the grief on their father's face? Hey, this is such an elaborate cover-up. I mean, it's something you might see on an episode of Dateline, right? Anybody like Dateline? Brendan and I are like Hook. We, we love to kind of to watch those shows. I mean, we've got everything in there. The scheme to kill, sold into slavery, using blood from a goat to sell the story to their father that Joseph's been killed, and surely not by the hands of their own brothers. Let's finish up the text with verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. You know, and, and looking through this and, you know, everything that Joseph faced in his life, not once did he ever complain to God about his situation. You know, how quickly, just like Colin said, you know, when we face adversity or suffering, do we look to God and say, why can't you hear me? Why, why are you not answering my prayers? We also see that Joseph followed God through it all, trusting. So it begs the question is, how can we live as Joseph did? And what truths can we learn from the life of Joseph's suffering and how he dealt with that? Uh, Joseph never dreamed that his brothers would plot to kill him. He never dreamed that he'd be sold into slavery. Um, spoiler alert, uh, I'm gonna jump ahead for the rest of Joseph's story just so we kind of understand where this all kind of lands. Uh, he never dreamed of being falsely accused of attacking Potiphar's wife. Never dreamed of being thrown into prison. He never dreamed of meeting Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, Chief Baker, and interpreting their dreams. He never dreamed of being forgotten in prison. He never dreamed he would interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And lastly, he never dreamed of becoming second command over all of Egypt. See, God's plan for Joseph could not be stopped by any one person or any one hardship of suffering that he endured. 
Joseph never complained, questioned, or tried to stop the divine appointment God was leading him to. All right, we remember that, that, that to ensure the covenant between God and his great-grandfather Abraham to build and bless a nation of descendants. You know, and, and I could, looking at Joseph's story, you know, it kind of mirrors a little bit of what Christ went through. You know, both were rejected from family. Both were stripped and left to die. Joseph in a pit, Jesus on a cross. But raised to prominence for the glory of God's purpose. Joseph becoming second in command over all of Egypt to ensure God's covenant would continue with his people. And Jesus raised to the throne in heaven while saving a world of sin. So my first point is, God is always with us. Amen? I mean, no matter if we find ourselves in the valley or living on the peak, the only difference is sometimes we look up at the peak and we say to ourselves, I can't ever climb that. I mean, there's some people today facing some dark things that are in the deep valley. And, and they, they're looking for a way out. You can't do it on your own. If you allow God to work in you and through you, you can do anything. If it's a matter of physical healing need, a relationship need, an addiction need, a mental need. If we keep our attention and focus on the one who can accomplish immeasurable things through you. And not lose hope in the midst of hardships and trial. God will see you through. This quote's not mine, but I, I use it often when I'm you know, counseling or talking to some friends who might be going through something. Um, God will not lead you to something that he won't lead you through. You know, so we can find comfort in the scripture. So our challenge is when you are faced with those hardships and those trials and those sufferings, seek God. Bring him into the equation. A lot of times we just want to lament and, and focus on what is lacking in our lives and never focus on him. Consider what the Lord spoke to Joshua after Moses has died. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Tim Keller, pastor and theologian, says, Suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. So when we face trials of great suffering, we need to consider, what's God refining me for? Now, don't look at it as a punishment. You know, is he shaping you into something or maybe he's shaping you into something that somebody else needs to see? Maybe somebody else you need to minister to. Is it comforting to know that the one who died on the cross and rose from the grave gave us these words? Matthew 28, 20. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And the key point. And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of age. You see how many roadblocks that Joseph encountered, the plot to kill him, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. These life encounters should have derailed him from ever achieving what God had planned for him. But every step of the way, 
He never complained, questioned, or stopped to ask, woe is me. He allowed God's plan to unfold according to his timing, not his own. He showed a great deal of patience, which is something I think we could all use today. Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God. He will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we see the end of the storybook roller coaster ride that Joseph has been on. Now, I don't want to step ahead for next week's stuff, Brian, that you and Adam may be working on, but just to kind of wrap this up. The dream was lived out when his brothers came seeking food for their families during the famine. Now, there in front of him stood the very men, his brothers, who sought to bring him harm some 22 years earlier. And 22 years from the time that Joseph was 17, 22 years later, he sees his brothers. It would have been easy to seek revenge and wrath, but instead, Joseph followed God's plan for reconciliation. So we can also learn that forgiveness is far better than living with bitterness. Matthew 18 Verse 21 to 22. And Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, 70 times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So if we're forgiven a world of sin, how can we forgive those who sin? Why, why can't we not forgive those who sin against us? Just think of it as this way. If Joseph had not followed God's provincial plan, the famine would have wiped out his family, bringing an end to the descendants of Abraham and the path for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Hey, we're early because I'm going to wrap up real quick. Um, My question to you, what is God leading you to in your life for his glory? And what's stopping you from completing it? Uh, Maybe your relationship with him isn't where it should be. Maybe you've allowed suffering and hurt to alter your path that you're on for him. Change the life he's leading you to for his glory. We've seen that in our family, just within our church, right? But... You know, we're, you're a phone call away from maybe a medical diagnosis that changes your life forever. You know, or maybe one distracted driver as you're going down the road could alter your life plans. Now, we think that we've got all kinds of time, right? We don't. You know, and it all starts with having a relationship with Jesus. And allow him to work in you and through you, through these times of suffering.
So I challenge you today to take the first step to seek him. As the band is going to come back up now, I'm going to ask Colin if he'll come back up here and stand too as we just give this brief invitation. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ, today could be the day. Why not today? So as they play, um, if you have any need, if you have a spiritual need, if you need prayer for anything, please come forward. Colin and I will be up here and uh, we'll meet with you. All right. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for being ever-present in our lives. God, we thank you that as we read through the story of Joseph, we see the hardships. Uh, God, we can all relate to hardships in our own lives. The difference for some, God, is the, the attitude that how they face that suffering and that trial. Those who have you in their life, God, I know that they're leaning on you today. You're molding them. You're using that trial, that suffering for your greater purpose in their lives. For those who don't know Jesus, God, and are going through those things, Lord, I pray that they would encounter Jesus somewhere through a friend, through a relative, that they could come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ and, and what it means to their life and their pain and the suffering that they're dealing with thank you for Jesus thank you for sending him into this world Lord I just pray that if uh, there's someone here that, that needs to know you today God speak to their heart don't let them walk away I pray for this in Jesus name Amen